love one another, forgive, judge not, fear not. It's all such great advice with beautiful outcomes, but none of those principles is a one-step process. So let's talk specifics, the messy step-by-step. Welcome to, but how though, in a bunch of other spiritual conundrums. Welcome back to But How Though and a bunch of other spiritual conundrums. It is time to wrap up our second season. And looking back on all the things that we have talked about this season, I'm so appreciative of you all going there with me, right? We explored grief. We've talked fear. We've talked modesty. We've talked doubt, hesitation, so many things. And I feel like this podcast is a little bit like a journal, for me in a way, diving deeper into the things that I need to learn more about or gain more experience in. And the interaction and feedback from the listeners of this podcast have been, I mean, just incredibly uplifting and instructive. Thank you. This last episode features an interview I had the privilege of doing recently with a woman named Portia I first met on social media. She's a member of one of the social media groups I'm a member of, and her posts were always so thought-provoking and so uplifting. I tracked her down and asked her to be a guest on Humans Dealing with Humans. The conversation we had, though, was so transformative and so powerful. I asked her if it would be okay if I shared the interview here on But How, though, also. Her story is so poignant because her life took a painful and difficult turn when she ended up in prison for a real estate crime. And she was locked up for four and a half years. Because of her circumstances and her choices, Portia felt imprisoned more than just physically. And her journey to finding inner peace and liberation deals with a tough step that we sometimes try to avoid as humans. And that was doing a thorough and unflinchingly honest moral inventory of herself, her thoughts, her actions, her reactions, all of her behaviors. And seeing the impact those choices had on the world and the people around her. So for our season finale, I'm sharing her interview here. And I hope that you find it as cleansing and uplifting as I did. Enjoy. Okay, we are on the phone this morning with Portia. Hi, Portia. Well, hello. Thank you so much for taking the time with us today. Thank you for inviting me. I am super excited. Portia has one of those really um, intense journey stories where your life has taken a lot of different twists and turns and you've had to take a good hard look at, gosh, everything, right? All of your motivations, all of your choices, all of the outcomes and really decide not only how your choices have impacted, but what choices you can make for the future, right? That is true. Yes. I don't think I had to, but I think I chose to, and it changed everything. Oh yeah. Yes. That makes a huge difference. So Portia, tell us a little bit about, we're talking about moral inventory today, obviously, but let's, Mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit about your story. So tell us how you even came to have a moral inventory in the first place. Well, I have struggled with addiction. So that moral inventory was not something that I was unfamiliar with. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I found out that I was going to be going to federal prison, which was for a real estate charge, I, I was looking, I guess when I got in, it was just so painful, you know, the experience of being separated from my family. And I felt 
imprisoned. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I think, um, and you, you know, I probably felt imprisoned before I went into prison just by the choices that I had made and by not taking an honest look at where I was. I can look back now at my life and see that I spent years in denial and that really hurt me. And it's something that I never want to do again. And so when I got into prison and I felt more imprisoned, I started looking for a way out. And the pain of separation and the lack of distraction when you're in prison can be intense. Oh, yeah. And, oh, my goodness. Yeah, you just have all the time in the world to think. <laughs> you really do. <laughs> and, you know, just I felt, I mean, it's not uncommon to be in prison and feel like, man, the government did me dirty. There's so many, yeah. you know, other people that got away with things and it's not fair. And maybe there is some things about your case or whatever that weren't completely fair. But the problem is the only way out is total responsibility for your choices. I didn't know that in the beginning. None of I us just... ever do, though, really. Can no. we talk about that for a second? None of us ever do sure. because pain automatically ignites that defense mechanism right? Automatically. And so we always look for ways to get quickly out of the pain. And the quickest way to get out of the pain is to have it be someone else's responsibility. So true. Yeah. I hadn't thought about it the way. So true. And so it's natural to feel those things. And, and when you get stuck in that, then you don't ever make progress, but you know, when you are able to look past it or get past it, but to have that phase of Mm -hmm. of really looking at somebody else to blame, even just like what you were talking about with pieces of the story to blame, makes so much sense. Tell us a little bit more about what kind of addiction were you talking about? Like what kind of things were you blinded to that ended that, that ended with you going to prison? Because I'm, I'm assuming it was something that you were just kind of skating through with and thinking, this isn't that bad. This isn't that bad until it became something that was bad. Yeah. Well, I was using prescription drugs and yeah, It's so common. It's so common. And the thing that's hard about that is it really did skew my judgment. It numbed me. I personally found ways to justify it because it's a prescription. I'm not buying it in the streets. And, but it really disconnected me from life and the people I loved. And I quit dreaming. You know, it's something that I can look back now and realize that I was surviving and I had quit I mean, yeah, I was numbing my pain, but I was numbing my future and my hope. And, you know, I just, I lost so much. I started out using, and then I got involved in some really risky, you know, real estate deals. And Were you a real estate agent? I wasn't an agent. I was an investor. And I mean, I can easily look back and say, okay, so I had a back surgery, and then I was using the pills, Mm -hmm. and then I just kept using them. And the problem was... I had two children really close together and I had at the time a photography business that was very demanding and I just didn't see how I could survive, you know, without taking these pills to keep going. And then I remember thinking, oh, the way out is the real estate market was so, you know, was booming. And if I could just get involved in this and that and other people are doing it, but none of it was based on a foundation of integrity and none of it was based on like, I didn't really, even at that point, do an inventory over what do I value most? What do I want my long-term, you know, what is my long-term goal? None of that was factored in. For me, it was just, I got to get out of this situation. So I'll do real estate. Then I'll make enough money. I can pay off my house and I don't have to be gone so much. And it just didn't work. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know? 
And when, I mean, real estate in of itself is not necessarily shady. So when you're talking about like shady deals that would end in a prison sentence, what what led you down that? Okay. You know, at first I was just buying and flipping lots and then Uh I got, I was presented with what's called an equity deal, which means that you would buy a house and you would borrow more money than the house is worth. And then you would invest that money in a different venture that would help pay for the house. And I, and I totally remembered the first time that someone showed me one of those deals thinking I would never do that. Mm -hmm. That is so like, who would ever borrow more? Who would go into debt? Who would like, how can that be right? If the appraisal says this, but you can only sell it for that. And Mm -hmm. there was just, there was just a discrepancy between what the real value of the house was, what the appraisal was, what the bank was willing to lend. And everybody was complicit. I mean, the banks were the, there were a variety of people that were complicit in that and it was wrong, but I had, you know, at a certain point I just justified it and got involved in them. So that's what happened. And well, I think it's also worth mentioning when you have a lot of parties that are complicit, it makes Mm -hmm. it feel a lot less shady. (laughs) Right? Right? Yeah. It just does. And so. (laughs) That was my justification. (laughs) Totally. Totally. And when you're looking Uh at it, sometimes a justification comes in with, if there's a lot of people doing this with me, then it's not necessarily the honesty or the ethics of the thing that we're talking about now. It's the risk. And if they're willing to risk and I'm willing to risk, then it kind of takes the ethics out of the question. you can. Yeah. You can. You can go there. For sure. I mean, when I went back and really evaluated and looked at my own integrity. Yes. Because that was the only way out for me. I could not focus on what anyone else did. I had to look at just me to free myself. Yes. I totally found where my integrity lacked and where I had made dishonest choices. And those are things I deeply regret. I mean, not just me, but friends and family were looking up to me too. And I'm very persuasive. And so it was just painful to take a look at that. It really was, but it was sucked, but it was what I needed to do. (laughs) But I think you you bring out a really important point in any kind of moral inventory and any kind of pathway that we justify, because our brains are actually made to justify. Like we have very efficient (laughs) methods of doing that to make yourself feel comfortable in order to just move forward. So because of that, we all naturally justify certain actions, especially when you're talking about cooperating in Mm -hmm. a more than just you business deal. But the most important point is when you have to evaluate your impact, you have to Mm -hmm. only look at your choice and you cannot factor in anyone else's motivations Mm -mm. anyone else's choices because you don't know all the details but you do know all the details about yours well yeah and the power in your life will come by owning your part and I didn't know that like I mean it's so interesting because you know I was considered white collar. I actually went to a higher security institution for a variety of reasons. And it's okay. I was grateful. There were a lot of benefits to that. Mm -hmm. But because of that, there were a lot of people that were in there on maybe a drug charge or different types of charges. A lot of poor people. It was diverse. A lot Mm -hmm. of people from different cultures and socioeconomic backgrounds. But there were also people that were a few of us that were white collar and we grad and we kind of gravitated to like education and we would work together. And I have some dear, dear friends that were in one of them was a medical doctor, one of them, you know, and yeah, it was yeah. a contract thing for her. And it was so hard for her. In fact, I don't know that she ever got there because 
she felt like she lost so much that she could not take full ownership of that. You yeah. know, it was just too hard and painful. But for me, as somebody who was in for more of a money crime or a white collar crime, I'm looking around at these other women and I'm saying, here's these brilliant women that are so smart, that have so much to teach me, but they can't seem to move past. They're not finding freedom. They're not taking full ownership. Mm -hmm. And I found people who, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, the gal that stood up and did her inventory. Um, and then one of my friends that came into prison that was actually in on a drug charge, she just owned it right away. She said, I did the crime. I knew I was coming to prison. I mean, uh, you know, that's what happens when you make these kinds of choices. Her mm -hmm. parents had been criminal her whole life. She'd been taught this, but yet she fully accepted that it was her own doing that brought her there. Mm -hmm. And I wanted that power in my life. Like I wanted to move past where I was, but I had all these smart friends that weren't doing it. And so I'm looking around going, I know the inventory's the way, but I can't, it, not until I saw somebody else do it so fully and feel the power that came because of that, that I was like, that's it. That's my way out, you know? Yes. Okay. I want to so. talk about that. Like, I would like to hear her story, but it just hit me while you were speaking. You know, as a human being, we, we dream a lot about the future. We have hopes and aspirations and wishes mm -hmm. that I wish this would happen, or I really hope I can do this. As a child or a really idealistic, you know, young adult, we still believe that the possibilities are wide open to us. The more we experience, the narrower that lens can become. When you were talking about your drug use that kind of assisted in the quit dreaming process, one of the ways that you can really understand your power as a human, all possibilities are available to you is mm -hmm. by accepting all of the choices that you've made. And as soon as you accept that and their impact, then you have the freedom to make better choices and to be completely freed from anyone else's actions or behaviors. Nothing that you have in your future is dependent on anyone else's behavior. Yeah. So you just said that so beautifully and so powerfully, and it's exactly the truth. And it's what I was looking for. And once I kind of saw it. I mean, I was seeking that yeah. so much so because here I am in this world that's separated from this world. We're doing the same thing every single day mm -hmm. and you're kind of frozen in time. I recognize that I have this time and I can rewrite my future, but I can't see my way out of the hole I'm in. Like yeah. I'm stuck, you know, mm -hmm. and that's why it was so important for me. And because I think prior I had used drugs and because I had kind of lost myself in that and then I got locked up and then I felt so hopeless. I felt so discouraged and I was angry and I felt like all of these things, but yet something inside me felt like there was a way that I could free myself in there and it wouldn't be prison to me anymore. And it really did happen that way. Like once I was able to own 100% that I made all the decisions that got me there every single step of the way that I had chosen either how I responded to something or what I did to somebody or mm -hmm. the decision that I made, the thoughts that I had, once I was able to own all of these things led me here, which means that I have total power to change all of these things and have a different future. Yes. And that's the beauty of it. But, oh, I didn't hear all my life. I've been thinking you've got to convince everyone what a good person you are, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and then the reality of that is 
that all of the things I had done wrong, the secrets, the things that I was trying to hide had so much power over me. Yeah. And so as soon as I put them down on paper, I released them and let them go. They had no power over me. And I had that power back in my life. Nobody, I was a victim to nobody, nothing, not the government, nothing. Yeah. I had total freedom to create my future. It's just how it works. It's crazy. It is crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. But when you're like, I'm a victim to no one, that, yeah. that statement right there, it takes a lot. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of effort. <laughs> oh my gosh. Right. So much energy because it yeah. is painful and you cannot skip the steps of the pain. Mm-mm. You can't just Mm-mm. say, okay, I'm, right. no, I'm not a victim anymore. And that it's all going to be empowering and like beautiful. <laughs> like, no. That is just not no. the process. So tell us a little no. bit about the person that came yeah. that kind of inspired you to do this. Okay. Okay. So I'll tell you a little bit about her and then my journey. Cause Oh, it's painful. Yeah. <laughs> I still had a little bit of stubbornness in me when I got to prison. You know, I thought, why would I want to listen to the government? You guys are the ones that put yeah. me here. La la la. Screwed me out of everything. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. At the time, that's what I thought. But anyway, in time, I was offered to go to a treatment program while I was in prison. And in my mind, I'm thinking, what the a government run treatment program? Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. But they did offer me a year off my sentence. So of course, I did go ahead and, and go, go to okay. the treatment. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, and it's not easy. You actually move into a new unit. I learned amazing things, but it's kind of daunting. I mean, you're basically holding each other accountable in this program. You're holding yourself accountable. You're in treatment constantly. And it's, it's just tough. So yeah. anyway, and well, um, you're surrounded by strangers and you're surrounded by strangers and you live with them. So when yeah. therapists leave after there's been this big conflict, you have to sleep with one eye open at night, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You're like, ah, who's mad at me? So I, I met this woman. She came in a few months after I did into this treatment unit and she was and this beautiful. Is how long, th- sorry, just to interrupt. Oh, sorry. this is a couple of years in. I did four and a half. So I was like two years into my sentence. Okay. Okay. All right. So, I mean, since I got into prison, I was devastated. And then I set a goal and this goal guided me and I'm so grateful for it. I set a goal to leave prison an amazing person. Okay. And I mean, it really wasn't what happened. In the end, I found out how amazing everyone else in prison was, but it was like something to hold on to. And so what I decided was I'm going to get up early. I'm going to read every good book I can. I was studying my scriptures. I was praying. I was seeking all the different ways that I could to serve. I wrote different curriculums for classes. I was trying to find meaning in this experience. Mm -hmm. The challenge I had was I had not found my way to freedom and that came through this inventory. So I've spent two years trying to improve myself and I've made some progress, but I still feel quite imprisoned. So I go into this treatment program and this woman comes in and she is very beautiful and broken. Like she has a beautiful smile, but she carries this sadness in her eyes, like real sadness. Mm -hmm. Every time I see her, I think, what is her story? Like this girl has, you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. What's so heavy on her. And within a couple of weeks, the first few weeks, she tries to take her own life. She goes in the shower and we have razors there. And it was very traumatic for all of us that we had to, officers had to come take her to psychology. And I was surprised, but after a few weeks, they brought her back to treatment and she sat very quietly in the back of the room. And then one day she gets up and there's about 70 of us in the room And she says, I am here because I have done terrible things to everyone I love, to my children, to my husband. I lied. I wasn't courageous enough to admit my mistakes. 
So that's why I'm here. And she, she said, I would like to read a list of the things that I've done to hurt the people I love. Uh, and we're just all sitting there in shock. Yeah. I mean, then she had categories. She had categories of the things she did to her children. And it wasn't just in detail. I did drugs and this happened, but it was then. And then I lied about it. And when I lied about it, I tried to make myself look better by doing this. You know, and my husband, I did this to him. I wouldn't admit it to him. And I, I ended up, you know, divorced because of me, not him. And some things happened to me when I was a kid, but instead of taking responsibility for my own choices, I used it as an excuse and then I hurt people. And it was just layers, really and layers and layers, layers. deep. Mm-hmm. Oh. It was layers. And it was probably a 20 to 30 minute thing. And we just sat there and there was like a stillness and a power in the room that was profound and everyone felt it. I mean, up to that point, it felt like treatment had been, I don't know, like on the surface. We had barely skimmed the surface. Yeah. yeah. And she, I felt like she just, she just dove in and it was even the therapist sat there. So when she got done, she just kind of looked at us and the therapist's like, I only have one question. It was almost like you couldn't even talk because it yeah. was just so powerful. Yeah. And she said, what would make you care so much about your recovery that you would stand here today and be so honest? And she said, I don't know if it will work, but I've tried everything else but being completely honest. And I had to try to be honest or I'm going to die. I just had to. Yeah. And I knew right when I heard it that it was my way out. It just flipped it for me. Instead of seeing an inventory as a bad thing or a scary thing, I realized what she just did was so courageous and it's my way out. And I actually followed her after she got done. I said, I need your help. I want to know what, how did you do that? And she goes, why do you care what anyone else thinks but yourself? She said, once you decide that that's all that matters, how you feel about you, she goes, you'll free yourself with that stuff. I was like, oh, I'm doing it, you know? Yeah. (laughs) So, but it wasn't easy. I mean, it was a several month process for me. It was very painful. There were times of ache, just physical ache and sickness. And yeah. Cause did you sit and work on this every day? I want to hear the practical situation. Take okay. Several so, the months. Practical, so, yeah. So I, I made a spreadsheet. I know that sounds crazy, but I did from age. I literally went back to the age of four, like the first time I took money from my mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I did. I wanted, I, cause I saw you this inventory. To be thorough. Yeah. I saw it as freedom. Yeah. I was like, why would I hold on to anything when I have this way out? I'm going to get rid of it all, you know? Yeah. And I made a list of different ages. I included, you know, I had been married and divorced. So I had key events that were big that I had a lot of emotion around mm-hmm. that I really wanted to change the way I saw and experienced, which is totally possible when you own your part. Oh yeah, I became more objective. I was able to look at it more as a spectator and kind of look down on it. The coolest part about it was I started remembering all the good things that I had blocked out. It's like, because I wanted to avoid the pain, I had avoided the beauty of my life, mm-hmm. you know, uh, by opening that up and saying, hmm, what did you do? And you were a child. Have some compassion for yourself. Or, you know, you didn't know better then. Because there are things I look back at my life and say, how could I have been so dumb? I'm offended yeah. by myself, you know? Yes, yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, but I wrote it. I actually wrote a 18-page kind of biography too. Like anything I could remember that was good or bad, I wrote. And then I put it on my list in categories. It was like dishonesty, illegal, drugs, sex, 
anything that I didn't feel good about for me, like in my part, I didn't focus much on what anyone did to me because I really don't think that was what was hurting me. What was hurting me was, you know, all the weight that I carried because of the people I had hurt. I wanted to let it go. And so that was the beginning. It took a few months. I then asked a group of women if I could share it with them. <laughs> I felt anxious, but I, I, I said it out loud. I also read my whole biography to one kind woman that was willing to listen out in the rec yard. <laughs> okay. I was like, I just need to say it out loud. The friend shared her stuff with you guys. It was 20 to yeah. 30 minutes of uh-huh. her talking about herself But Mm -hmm. it actually brought me to tears thinking about it while you were speaking Mm -hmm. because the space you all created to just listen to her, the entire room was focused on her experience. That is very powerful. And so when you make this inventory and you come to a few trusted friends and say, will you listen to this? It's Mm -hmm. really important to understand the power of creating space for someone who needs to say it. It's so important. And I'll tell you what happened after I shared that. My friends were so taken back by it. They were like, wow, I want to do this. So then they started doing it. And I got woke up in the middle of the night. They would come over. <laughs> They're like, Portia. <laughs> I, I forgot something on the list. I want it to be so complete. You know? Yes. Seriously. I'd be walking around the rec yard and I had one girl that shared a lot. And in the end, there was something that she held back. And it was something that she had done as a child. Her sister died of cancer. And the day before her sister died, she told her sister that she hated her. Right? I mean, she carried that burden. And she just felt like the worst person. She couldn't say it out loud. Well, what a horrible thing to have happened. You're a child. She's jealous that she's getting all this attention. And Mm -hmm. I mean, what a hard thing to have to carry. And when she told me, I could just see, she looked at me and I said, you know, I love you, right? You know, your sister's up there. She's with you. I said, let's write her a letter. Tell her how you feel. Let's make this right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that that was how my, my heart just changed and I wanted people to heal. I felt that power come into my life. I wrote all my kids' letters. I wrote extended family members' letters. I wrote on my blog to my community and said, hey, I'm sorry for the damage I've done. Please write me and tell me how I've hurt you. Let's heal. Let's make this right, you know? Mm-hmm. And I work at a treatment center now and I get new girls in all the time. And constantly I am sitting there with them in groups saying, let's carry each other's burdens. You guys, I'm here. Let's do this. Because once you feel it, you want it for everybody. And I want to know how many people took you up on that and actually wrote you back and, and did express what they felt about it. Well, I had to really push them to do it. (laughs) (laughs) There were a few, there were a few, and some of them were hard. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Some of them were, Ooh, really hard. But I will tell you what happened. Life-changing. Okay. So my oldest daughter who suffered a lot, who was basically raising her siblings while I was gone. And how old was she when you first went in? She was 22, but she took over as mom. So that was difficult. But the even harder one was my 12 year old, my 12 year old daughter. I left her. I mean, everything a girl goes through in her teen years, she went through without her mom. Yeah. Very painful for her. I wrote her letters for probably two years that she didn't open. You know, she just let him stack up and thank goodness she had her father and thank goodness I prayed. Oh, did I sit under a tree and pray and beg God to protect my children and forgive me and make things right. It was not like an immediate thing. It was like really seeking, you know, I wish owning it was all you had to do, but 
for me, owning it meant it was very painful because the truth of it was I hurt a lot of people. Yeah, you know? because owning it is, I mean, it's one thing to say own it. A lot of people mm-hmm. equate that with just saying it out loud. But owning mm-hmm. it actually means going into the depth of the difficulty and not skipping any of the steps of the emotions because the emotions yeah. are there for you. They're they're going to notify you the places you mm-hmm. need to keep looking. Yes. And so you feel that hurt and that disappointed it's very overwhelming especially because shame guilt Mm -hmm. fear pain Mm -hmm. all of those things are so potent and so you have to allow yourself to feel them as potent as they need to be felt I mean Mm -hmm. it's not easy it's not it's not it's not easy but it's for the brave and the it's only for people that want to have an amazing life. Yes. I mean, that's really what it is. It is the actual path to freedom for sure. I will tell you now, you know, I have a daughter who's 18 now, who's 12. When I went in, I've been home for a year and a half and I show up for her day after day. And I have, we have built something so much more beautiful than we ever had. And so much more real. My youngest daughter told me, you know, she worries about her weight. She's just turning 13 and that she's slim, but that's just something every woman worries about. And she, she had the courage to say, mom, when you talk about your weight, it makes me feel scared. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Am I ugly? If I get fat, will any people not like me? And I'm like, oh no, oh Oh, no, baby. I am, you know, and then I said, I never want to hurt you like that. Thank you for being so honest and open with me and telling me the things that are bothering you that I'm saying. And I mean, those are the kinds of things that you get when you get super honest and real, you get Mm -hmm. this connection where you can, you can solve problems, Yes, (laughs) you know, instead of just pretend and take offense and all that, you don't take things personal anymore. You realize we're here to help each other. And thank you for letting me, you know, know that what I'm doing is hurting you. And Mm -hmm. then you move past it and I wouldn't trade it, but it was hard. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (sighs) I first heard the concept of moral inventory through the 12 step program because it's step four of the the 12 steps. I mean, I know you don't know me at all. So I have suffered from body image and eating disorders my whole life. And I Mm -hmm. could not, absolutely could not admit that that was addiction related. I couldn't. Okay. I couldn't equate that to that. I felt like, no, this is just an illness. I have been victimized by society. I've been victimized by my own (laughs) thoughts about myself. Yes. Or your parents. I mean, they had them too, you know? (laughs) I I was willing to admit that I had a part in it, but I also wanted to share everything with what you were talking about from the very beginning with those Uh who were complicit. And it was mostly society. Or like Mm -hmm. those evil douchebags that like said mean things to me as a teenager or something, you know, and (laughs) it's true, but it won't give you freedom. It won't help you. It won't, it won't give you your power to move past it. Yes. (laughs) And the first time I was in a, I went to a treatment center. I was in an outpatient eating disorder clinic and Mm -hmm. I went in for my first intake assessment. I mean, I cried on the phone, Portia, just making the appointment. Like I, it was so awful to mm-hmm. just think to myself, like, I have to go to this treatment center. The poor girl just trying to make my appointment. She's like, so how does August sound? And I'm like, oh, I don't even want to be on the phone. Yeah, like, <laughs> it was right. so awkward for her. And <laughs> and they tell me my treatment plan. And it is mm-hmm. intensive therapy, one-on-one therapy. It is group therapy. It is meeting with a one-on-one nutritionist. And it's, oh, oh the reading material. Oh, the reading assignments. We're out of control. Oh, and that sounds I, like a great place. Yeah. <laughs> and 
I was right? I was all in. I was totally all in because of the way that I felt. And I knew that I was going to die if I did not yeah. start somewhere. But they were doing these these Edinon mm-hmm. meetings. And I was like, mm-hmm. this is Alcoholic Anonymous. <laughs> this is a meeting for addiction recovery. <laughs> I'm not kidding. We go there. And right. this is this is like, how did my life become this afternoon PBS special of itself? Because these people are <laughs> chanting the serenity prayer. They're handing out tokens. <laughs> For who didn't like you, who didn't throw up this week, who didn't starve this week. And they're giving people prizes. And I'm like, what the hell has happened to me that I'm sitting in this room with strangers? And I could not, (laughs) I couldn't wrap my head around it being an addiction. I interviewed someone for this podcast. He was a sex addict and he was Uh talking about his moral inventory for his step four. And Mm -hmm. I realized I have done moral inventories in my life in sections. I would Mm -hmm. say, okay, I feel really badly that I was mean to that girl on the playground in the sixth grade and that I completely bullied her for two years because I felt insecure and I thought Mm -hmm. it would make me feel better if I was an absolute jerk to her. And (laughs) I made her life miserable. So I would, I would contact people like a, my name is Earl situation (laughs) (laughs) through the years, but I only did it in pieces because the overwhelming feeling of facing it all at once was really hard. And I'll tell you, it was not until, I mean, five years ago, that's when I really started the, the treatment for my eating disorder. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. until, Gosh, maybe like a year and a half ago that I was really willing to say to myself, I'm addicted to dieting. Like, mm-hmm. I, and I didn't realize it. I was just like, uh, yeah. I just feel out of control. And when I feel out of control, I think, oh, it's my body that's out of control or I hate my body or whatever. And then the second yeah. I decide, oh, it's probably time to take off a few pounds. I feel instantly better the second I decide to do it. And I'm yeah. like, wait, nothing changed with my body. Why do I all of a sudden feel better? <laughs> And then, and I just started oh. to realize, oh, this is, this is an addiction, which means yep. this has been affecting. And, and it was like, uh, I don't know, I don't know, 2012 or something. I had really little children at home and mm-hmm. I was doing some squats and I was doing some wall sits up against mm-hmm. the wall. And my six-year-old and my three-year-old came and started doing wall sits next to me. And mm. And then they turned to me, both of them turned to me at the same time. And the six-year-old said, we're going to lose a lot of weight, huh, mama? Oh, baby. And I. That's when you knew. Yes. I was like, "Uh, first of all, I'm going to hell. And I'm taking these girls with me. And Mm -hmm. it was really hard because my realization, I I woke up in increments. I didn't have Mm. like a powerful woman like you had to just come and do her inventory in front of you and have that moment yeah. where I'm like oh that would be the freedom but it's been coming yeah. incrementally and so when I read your story about it I just thought this is a concept that all people need to understand the power lies within us to become yes. free but absolutely it requires more from us th- than we want to give a lot of times yes you know I think it's so beautiful that you recognize one thing that it it motivates me and did motivate me was there wasn't a lot that I could do. I'm away from my children. I can't raise them on a daily basis, but I came to realize that the most important thing I could do was heal me. And so that became my mantra, you know, and that's why I had this become an amazing person. Like there's no business that I can start, nothing that I can accomplish. The only thing I get to take with me is who I become. And I will tell you Most people in general want somebody to fix their problems. They want to find a quick fix. If they've got a kid with a problem, they want to take them to a treatment center or if they, but the reality of it is 
it can stop with us as parents. And when you made that decision, when you sat there and you realized, you know, I don't know how this came to me, maybe my mom or maybe my friends or maybe society, but it's stopping with me and my Mm -hmm. kids are not going to carry this burden. And that was my thing. It was like, I don't want my kids to have addiction. I don't want my kids to have weak integrity. Ultimately, I want to be a person that I feel good about and that they can look up to. And that has nothing to do with what anyone else thinks. It has to do with everything with who I am. So when you made that decision, when you started getting real, because I can see that clearly you're very honest and open with yourself. That's so unusual. <laughs> I love it. We should be best friends forever. I would I love, love that. <laughs> I would love that, Portia. <laughs> oh, I just love the honesty and being willing to walk through the pain. Yes. It's worth it. I just want to tell everyone it's so worth it's it. It's so worth oh. it. Yes. yes. And I, I, as I have had to do different moral inventories in, in sections, <laughs> incrementally, mm-hmm. through right. my life, I realized I was always trying to defend myself from the pain. I always was trying to protect myself from ever being hurt or minimized because I didn't see my intrinsic value. I was looking Mm -hmm. for those external cues of telling me how I was doing based on whether or not somebody else thought I was doing well. And Mm -hmm. because of that, my defenses were actually really strong. I was super Mm -hmm. great at the defenses. But what it (laughs) did was take me away from actual connection. And when Mm -hmm. I heard people like Brene Brown talk about vulnerability, I knew the word vulnerability very early on. As a teen, I was like, that is a disease. I (laughs) will not be vulnerable. Like that is not something I want. (laughs) And I did everything I could to be invulnerable. And I did not share myself with people. I had stage rage and I had real rage. And only Mm -hmm. I was was privy to real rage. And Mm -hmm. once I realized how that was kind of separating me from people, Mm -hmm. not just from them seeing the real me, but also I couldn't enjoy them. I couldn't enjoy people for their gifts because I was so worried about the way their gifts made me feel about myself. Like I couldn't just like look at someone and be like, that was awesome that they just did. I would be like, should I do that? Was I supposed to do that? So that is exactly what this inventory did for me. I quit looking around and thinking someone was better than me or worse than me. No one else's opinion of me mattered. I felt really good about me inside. And I then had this, I had this space, you, you call it space, but it was really, it was like my heart and my soul opened up. I really enjoyed the last part of my prison sentence. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but I loved sitting on a bench next to someone, yeah. maybe a new girl that came in that I didn't even know that was kind of scared. And she, she just say, thank you for talking to me. And I thought it was the most beautiful experience. Thank you for letting me get to know you. It was like my heart opened. And so that to me is one of the amazing things about letting all that crap go and empowering yourself. It's like, no longer does the world define me. No longer does what other people think matter. It's who I really am. My own personal integrity inside Mm -hmm. is what I care about. How do I feel? I used to worry a lot about what everybody else thought, but I felt terrible inside. Now I don't (laughs) care what anyone thinks and I feel really good about me. It's great. (laughs) And I think what you hit the nail on the head is the most important thing you can do is heal because now you have the freedom to show up and give without worrying about how the gift is going to be received. It is Mm -hmm. a way bigger gift that you can give because you're not holding anything back. Yeah. You're not afraid. You're just going to show up and give it whatever it is, whatever it isn't. It doesn't really matter. You're just going to give what you have. 
Well, and you don't expect anything. It's like all the time I get people that call and say, well, can you do? Yes, 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 I can. I don't care about money. I don't care about things. Things don't define me. I am free and open to give anywhere I want. And I know that I'm giving authentically my best self. And Mm -hmm. therefore, I don't even question it. (laughs) And this is what allows a person to enjoy the last part of their prison sentence because you can be present in any moment. And you know, in this moment, this girl that's new to prison is you know what she's experiencing. You know mm-hmm. how you can alleviate it. You know how you can just sit there with her in it. And you don't have mm-hmm. to worry like, oh, I wish I wasn't here. You can be like, yeah. I am. Mm-mm. This is a privilege because I That's get to be I at the same place that this girl is in a position that I can help. Like it's, am- it's I, I honestly remember thinking this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. Like yeah. I'll never get to have this again. Like this is so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I was in prison and people would get, I got, <laughs> when I got out, all the therapists would say, I've never heard anyone say that. And I said, oh yeah, it was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it does. It changes you when you free yourself and you own your part. I remember I knew that there was a way out. I knew it. And I knew it wasn't the government because truthfully, if I would have waited for them to apologize, I probably would have been sitting in my bunk for another 20 years. Yeah. Nobody else was going to tell me, oh, yeah, we screwed up. Sorry, Portia, we need to make this right with you. Yeah. The end of the day was my freedom and my ticket out was 100% ownership. And Mm -hmm. that is... And everyone has that within them. That's the beauty of it. It's not easy, but it's so available to you. I have friends and people that once in a while will tell me why they are a victim and, and I feel so bad for mm-hmm. them. And I want to say, oh, baby, there is a way out. And I share my story, but I also realize until they're ready and they want yeah. to find freedom, they're not going to do it. Because truly, so. that victimization piece, it is also a step. It's part of it. You have yeah, to also- it is. Feel what it feels like to have someone's behavior affect you also. Yeah, that's true. And it's really tough because that's the place we have a tendency as human beings to get stuck. We have a tendency to want to stay there because it's kind of comfortable if you think about it (laughs) to think that like. There must be a payoff to that. Yes, I I feel like there is. But when you get in prison, the payoff, I mean, for me, the payoff is no growth, you know? And I was like, ugh, I can't spend four and a half years and have nothing to show for it. I mean, I just can't, I can't sit here every single day. I mean, denial is a safe place to keep your heart. Of course you're just, you know, you're, but I'll tell you for me too, one of the biggest moments for me, the biggest shifts was I hadn't seen my husband or my children for a long time. And they, they came out to visit. We weren't doing well financially because of choices I had made. They were you know, getting by. And when they walked in and my two teenage kids had grown six inches and I could see that they were in the throes of being teenagers and they were hurting. And I could see that, you know, that broke me. That was when I realized denial is not an option for you anymore. You have made choices that have hurt everybody. And if you want to continue to deny it, these kids are going to suffer. Mm -hmm. You need to tell them the truth. You need to tell them that it was you. You need to be brave because they need a brave mom because they need, they need to be strong to get through, you know, and it was hard. My son, I would tell, I told them the government didn't do this. I did. We need to, you know, you're hurting because of me. This was my choice. And my kids were just, they did not want to hear that. And 
<laughs> it was hard. <laughs> no, it was painful. Then They're they have amazing, to go the anger was, also. Oh, they did. It was so hard. It was hard for all of us. My son was had this chip on his shoulder, and I thought, oh, how is this? But we had to start. We had to mm-hmm. tear down the lie, and we had to start with truth and build something. And it's not easy, and it takes time, but, man, is it worth it. You know, yeah. he's doing great now. The kids are doing great now. I mean, we're bearing the fruit of that effort, but it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take time. Everyone has to feel what they need to feel. Yeah. And, oh. and we got to be honest about it. I love that because I'm you. everybody's heard, you know, honesty is the best policy. And I, <laughs> I had to really like think about that in terms of what my life has been like, because when I was a teenager, I also used to lie. Like I used to use lies in order to make myself look really awesome. And it brought me to (laughs) a horrible, horrible pits that I would dig for myself because of the lies that I would tell. Mm -hmm. And I had to get to a place where I was like, no, honesty is the only policy. It's not just the best policy. It's the only policy that I can have wherein Mm -hmm. I will be able to stay healthy. Otherwise there's no such thing. Right. And, and I will not even know the damage that's being done to me unless mm-hmm. I'm 100% honest. And yes. I had this experience that I don't know why. I just feel like I want to tell you. Yes. Because like, we're best friends now. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I was having a really tough time with my body. I was super upset about the way that I looked. And I just knew I needed to go for a jog. And that would make me all feel better. I mean, jogging mm-hmm. obviously does make me feel really good. But um, <laughs> yeah. it was raining. It was super dramatic. I'm just crying. It's like some Sunday evening in the dark. I'm by myself <laughs> jogging. And I was praying. And I was like, uh, okay. So I have been talking to you you guys, I think about God, like team universe. Like there's mm-hmm. in my mind, there's a lot of people involved on this team. That yeah. Care about yes. <laughs> so, right. There I, are angels. Who yes. knows? You know, so the universe I, is for you. Yes. I am praying to team universe. And I'm like, guys, I have been talking to you about this for years, years. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm so sorry that I'm asking for more help with it, but I'm still not through it. I still need more help. And all of a sudden I had this overwhelming feeling of guilt. Like, <gasps> are they sick of this? Because I'm kind of sick of this. Like I'm sick of asking. I'm sick of talking about it. I just said the same sentence that I've said over and over and over again for years. And I was like, oh no, God, are you sick of me? Because <laughs> Sorry, I'm so redundant. Yes. And I'm like, oh no, I'm the most irritating. I'm that irritating friend that like can't get past this thing. And I keep bringing it up and you've given me answers and help, but I just can't, I just am still not through it. And all of a sudden I just felt lower than low. And I was like, you have to tell me, just be honest. If you're sick of me, I will stop talking about this. I will handle it on my own. Just tell me. And I can hear like the crunch, crunch, crunch of my feet as I keep jogging. I can hear nothing, nothing but silence. And I'm like, seriously, tell me, does it ever get old? And I got Mm -hmm. the most, the most sweet response that Hmm. changed my life forever because I heard the words, Rachel, every time someone opens their heart to me, it's new. And that's beautiful. If you are being completely honest, it's a new and it's a sweet experience every time. I mean, I knew that didn't come from me because that would have never occurred to me. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. But all of a sudden I understood the role of honesty as a language. That was the language of the spirit. That was the language of the universe. It is not that I Mm -hmm. have to like learn how to, oh, was that a prompting? Was that an inspiration? I don't know. Was that just one of my ideas? It's not even about that. The universe speaks truth. That's its only language. And as long as you are being honest, that connection is new every single time. And it just changed the way that I, the way that I interact with myself. 
Yeah. Vulnerability is all of a sudden, oh, so like yeah. nobody's <laughs> lying about it. It's actually the key to every relationship. So it's not this yeah. disease that I've got to avoid. It's actually the only way I can connect with myself, the only way I can connect with my people. Yeah. When I first figured out that honesty was the only way, I remember I'd be in prison and I would say, I would tell someone something and then they'd walk away and I'd say, oh, I just lied. Yeah. <laughs> they'd turn around and look at me like, what? I think Because I don't care as much about what you think as I do being so completely yes. 100 with myself. I mean, I was in this treatment program. What a joke. I mean, you literally, if you do any little thing, you people can pull you up. So I just started pulling myself up. I'm like, yeah. oh, I, I wore a barrette that you, you can't normally wear on the compound. I ate some lettuce during the hour you're not supposed to. I mean, it was just, yeah. people are like, oh, we're getting sick of it. And I'm like, no, I am going to be so completely honest <laughs> with you all. Because <laughs> you see the power in yes, it, you know? It is, and- it is absolute power. Like what you said earlier, it makes it so that you are a victim to no one. Right. And I thank you for sharing because I am going through some things that I needed to hear that. So thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. You were right on with that. And I think one of the things that I love the most about support group meetings, all those funky, quirky meetings, you know, what I have and the serenity prayers, bring on the token. (laughs) What I have found though, is that it is not our perfections that unite us. It is our challenges and struggles. Mm -hmm. And when I sit with somebody and they tell me I'm hurting, I've hurt people. This is what I've done. I feel such a, deep love and connection to that person. There's no judgment. So I like being in a room where the reason we're all there is that we're all screw ups. Yeah. (laughs) You know, no, no pretense here. And it just helps me to hear your truth because I need that. So yeah, this has been such a good interview for me. Thank you. I'm so glad I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much for giving us your time and so generously of the truth about your story and the ways that it connects us because Really, we're all human and we all screw up and we all hurt each other and we all get hurt by each other. So we are walking combinations of both anger and guilt all the time. All the time. The ways that we want to view ourselves sometimes really conflict with the way that we do view ourselves because of these experiences. And we're just kind of looking for that peace. And this is one powerful way to get it. Yes. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Yes. Well, I will uh, look forward to continuing our friendship. Yes. (laughs) Oh, that woman and that journey. I felt some of that imprisonment of mind so deep as a person who has spent most of my life trapped in the cycle of trying to manage other people's perceptions about me and gauging my own value on outside reactions and cues, I can tell you the peace that is coming to me by owning my stuff and learning to just look to Team Universe and not around at what anyone else is doing or thinking or saying, that peace is priceless. And it gives me so much hope for the future that maybe one day I will be able to give like Team Universe gives. Anyway, that's all I got for this week. I'm Rachel Larson. Thank you so much for joining us. Please join us again after the summer break for our next season. And as we go about our lives, carrying our burdens and dreaming our dreams, I hope that we all remember we've got a team 100% committed to our growth and our success. And all we got to do is open ourselves up with honesty and ask some critical questions like, but how though?